Would you like to get your music streamed millions of times on Spotify? What if there was a proven step-by-step process you could follow to achieve that goal? That's what we're going to be looking at in this episode of the New Music Industry Podcast. Today I'm chatting with the founder of Fame Hackers, Isabella Bedoya. How are you today, Isabella? Hey, David. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. So today you run Fame Hackers, but when you used to work as an A&R for a label under Sony Music, what led to you doing what you do today and what has your trajectory been like? Such a great question. Um, back in the day when I used to be an A&R, I quickly realized that the very first thing that people are, or like at least labels are looking for are artists that have a social media following that's real, high quality, authentic, um, essentially demonstrate that they have a fan base and that they also can monetize that, right? So basically I understood that as long as you have digital marketing and e-commerce principles um, as part of your music career, then you can make it successfully as an independent artist. So yeah, once I figured that out, then I was like, okay, cool. So if you can just teach an artist how to do this, there wouldn't be so many like starving artists in quotes, right? So kind of that's that's how I got to where I am today. Just that desire to help. That's awesome. And yeah, you're totally spot on. It is so challenging, I think, to convince musicians that they have to learn digital marketing or e-commerce principles. So I know you have your own approach to that. What What is your answer to that? I mean, honestly, it is one of the most challenging things to teach artists and musicians because also, and, and I, I don't think it's like their fault exactly, but I also think it's like because the way that society thinks that independent artists are like starving artists and it's a hobby and it's a pipe dream and you're never going to make it. So immediately, like you have these very talented, gifted individuals that are not able to actually live up to their full potential just from the way that they were raised. And it's not even like on the parents, it's just society in general. That's how the, the majority treats musicians. So when you first get them to like actually step out of that and actually realize that they're super valuable and worthy and talented, and then you just teach them how to market themselves in a way where you're not also being kind of like, like slimy and icky. Cause I know that's something that comes up a lot where people don't want to be like sellouts, but um, yeah, it's just teaching the people the right approach of how to show yourself in a way that is going to be beneficial for everyone. Yeah, I like what you said a lot about being valuable and worthy. That's kind of the theme of the ebook I just came out with today. Not an April Fool's joke. It's uh, the Renegade Musician, and it's at gum.co slash Renegade Musician. I might send you a free copy there, Isabella, in case you want to check it out. But it's definitely about artist empowerment, and I feel like it's a timely important message for musicians. Now, I know one of today's themes is going to be Spotify, and I've been chomping at the bit to do an episode about this because I know it's been a trending for a long time, and it's very much alive and well. I think I really just needed the right guest to talk about it, but I'm going to be the devil's advocate right away and say, why Spotify? Isn't it super crowded? Doesn't it pay less than a cent per stream? Absolutely. Um, So first of all, uh, David, I would absolutely love a copy of the book. <laughs> um, I, that is so, so amazing that you wrote that. And, you know, Spotify is one of those things where it's it's like a, a really useful tool, but it gives you a false hope or a false perception of success, right? So kind of like diving in a little bit deeper on that. So what I mean by like false perception of success is like 
so many people place so much importance on getting streams and getting this number of streams up. And although that's like a good metric, at the end of the day, those are kind of like your your passive listeners, not necessarily your active audience or your active mm. fans. So a lot of the services out there, they're like super shady playlisters or playlist pluggers or just services that artists are spending their hard-earned money on things that aren't really going to move the needle forward. Um, and a lot of them are fake playlists, which can then harm your whole entire song on Spotify. So it's just one of those things where you just have to be really, really careful. But um, also understanding, you know, at the end of the day, it's the fans that make it, that, that help you make it. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot of things there that we're going to dive deeper into, including the bit about passive and active listeners. And I think I found that compelling and it's a really important thing to dive into. I think first, you know, you're a big advocate of building that strong fan base. So, and you talk about the importance of being fan centric as an artist. I definitely agree. But why is that so significant? Well, that's a great question because especially in today's world where everybody is an influencer, everybody's a founder, everybody's a podcaster, right? Everybody has merch. We're at war for attention. It's it's very simple. We're at war for attention. And then the people that are successful at gaining over the attention, those are the people that are actually being successful and making a living off of it, whether they're influencers or brands or whatever it is. So when you become fan-centric, is you're literally placing your fan as your number one consumer. That's the most important part of your movement. They're going to support you. They're going to love you. But in return, you have to show that same level of respect for them. So if you really think about it, it's kind of like having like stellar customer service for the fans. And when you can become that like that person, right, when you can actually make the fans the center of your universe, you always make them happy, you provide for them, they're going to do that plus more in tenfold. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I think independent artists should start being more fan centric. From your perspective, is that like different from the traditional model somehow? Like were artists getting away with not interacting with their fans or are we just in an age now where we have to be even more diligent about engaging our fans? I think uh, it's of course on a case by case basis, but there's a lot of, in the terms of people that aren't really being engaged with their fans. I think now more than ever, we're in the age of accessibility. So we have to be accessible. And there's a lot of artists out there that they've read blogs or books or whatever. They just have this idea or notion that, just because they're artists that they have to have a barrier between them and their fans or that they're, you know, a little bit more of a higher pedestal, maybe because they get a little bit more clout and exposure. But at the end of the day, if you really want to be successful and and we see the big artists do it, right? Like Taylor Swift has a whole department dedicated for her fans because she gets it. So I think if you really like, and this is what we're saying too, if you really want to be successful with your music on social media and have that digital market, that digital presence, you have to place your fans first and, and open up the level of accessibility with them. Right. So you could have a mysterious personality. You probably just couldn't be like Prince and uh, be a recluse and practice all the time <laughs> and get away with it. Yeah, I mean, even then, right, you can still be like super mysterious, but just saying hello or commenting back or, or DMing them, just yeah. engaging with them in your own mysterious ways too, right? If that's your brand you're going for. Um, but it's just that level of interaction that it's really interesting because it's on a psychological level. If you get a notification on your phone from Instagram, it releases dopamine, mm. right? So it makes you feel good. So if you, you're getting that dopamine and then it just happened to be by one of your favorite um, artists or like someone that you're, you're going to like, that's going to increase that level of loyalty of like, oh my gosh, I feel so special. Such and such, just like my, my comment. 
That's a big thing that I was learning from my coach recently. He has a course called Conversational Conversions, and people can find it if they want for just $9 over at superfastresults.com. It's ridiculous. But the number one thing that I learned was anytime anyone follows you, just say hi and thank the person for following them. If you want to go a step further, you could send them a video too, thanking them. That can be unscalable, but at least initially that can create a stronger engagement. Absolutely. Awesome. So how do we go about finding our ideal fans? There's obviously a difference between engaged, loyal fans versus people who just come to listen to your music, as you alluded to earlier. Is it all about following people on social media or is there something more to this? So finding your ideal fan, this is like the one of the hardest questions you can ask an artist. Um, <laughs> so the, there's a few exercises, but I think the easiest one is... Um, if you were to walk into a party and just kind of like, this is where you kind of have to let your creativity run wild a little bit. So if you were to walk into a party and you don't know anyone, but you start like imagining, okay, well, who's the circle of people I would surround myself with. And then you imagine that person, you're having a conversation. What are you guys talking about? What are the, uh, what are some topics? What are they wearing? What are maybe favorite interests, favorite music that's playing on at the party and stuff like that. So when you start thinking about that angle, you kind of start getting a little bit more of a visual. Now, this is also a part where a lot of artists go wrong. They'll say two things. When you ask them who their ideal fan is, they'll dive into their insights and analytics, and they'll tell you who they think they are based on the analytics of the traffic that they're currently receiving. But that's not necessarily intentionally finding your ideal fans. That's just whatever. It just happens you're getting that traffic. It's not necessarily going to mean that these are the people are going to love and support your culture. So you have to be really intentional with that. Um, now, the second part is that when artists also get to that point of like, well, I kind of have an idea who they are. I have a visual and they get stuck there. But if you really want to know who your ideal fans, you have to get down all the way to psychologically the pain and the pleasure points. Because if you understand the pain points and if you understand the pleasure points and if you understand, you know, the current challenges that they're going through on a day-to-day -day basis, conversations that are keeping them up at night, you can insert that in your messaging. You can insert that in your music. You can insert that in your captions. And that's going to resonate so much more. And it's going to actually attract just because it's going to resonate. So it's going to attract the right people versus you messaging every single person and like spamming and like, check out my music. Here's my link, stuff like that. Absolutely. And so to some extent, it really is doing social media listening and paying attention to current topics and being mindful and aware of what people might be experiencing or feeling right now. I know that's been challenging for me and other music educators simply because we do most things from home and just continue to do most things from home. So so we're not in touch with the reality of, of what people are experiencing and feeling. Also because we tend to watch less TV and news. <laughs> but uh, yeah. In general, I think that's a good thing. So that's really yeah. good. And you can also f go on like Facebook groups or like Reddit groups and, and, and learn the languaging, right? As long as you can get really good at the language of how they're speaking and you can communicate in their own language, it, it's going to be super easy to attract those people. That's huge. Yeah. Watching the language patterns, you can almost just use what they say in your copy if you know what you're doing. And, and that's that's magic right there. I love that you talk about brand as well. Uh, I'm working on a book that focuses intensely on branding, and that's coming. But from your perspective, why is it so important that artists optimize their brand to attract their ideal listeners? That's a really great question. <laughs> um, so if you really think about it, like if you break down an artist to the very core, 
there there's always all this like mysticism around how music actually works and how people actually become successful but if you really take down to its core an artist operates as a brand right and every brand has products so if you take a look at like apple for example apple's the brand and then they have their iMacs their iPhones or MacBooks whatever so similar with artists if they understand that they operate as a brand and they are the brand their music is a product their merch is a product everything else that they do is a product so if they understand that principle then they have to then understand okay well how do we actually get brand retention or like customer retention and that's where brand loyalty comes in so if you can get really good at Uh, identifying your brand and who you are as a brand and your storytelling behind the brand because that will actually connect a lot more um and you create those offers to monetize your brand then all you really have to worry about is making sure that you're delivering a really nice experience for the fans so you can increase your brand loyalty hmm. so is a brand logos colors websites business cards stuff like that or does it actually go deeper Yeah, I mean that's just kind of like the physical aspects of it, right? But the brand can even go as deep as as the story, the why behind it. And um I don't know if you know like Simon Sinek the three golden circles where it's where it's like, you know, it's not people don't really care about what you do or how you do it, but they care about why you do it. Yeah. So when you get really hone in on on your why, hone in on your story, the story behind your brand, um hone in on the culture that you want to create, it kind of becomes a movement. So, yeah, the colors, the logos, all of that is nice for the aesthetics of it. but it's it doesn't just stop there it's it's a lot more to that yeah this is something i learned from greg wilnaw of musician monster in a big way but he says that your brand is basically your your impact the purpose the difference you want to make in the world so yeah. knowing that is going to make you so much more magnetically attracted to the right people than just thinking about costumes and stuff like that Yeah, I love that you said that magnetically attracted to people. That's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. I think that's <laughs> what a good brand creates is magnetic attraction, you know. Absolutely. One of the main ways artists get their name out there is by getting the right kind of PR and leveraging it. And leveraging it being the key here because I feel that's something a lot of artists just don't do very well. So they really miss out on a lot of opportunity when they work so hard for it and don't utilize it in their marketing. And obviously the main way artists get more attention for their music on streaming sites especially is by getting on playlists. You mentioned that you have a way of helping artists achieve those things without using Submit Hub or Payola. What does that look like? Yeah, so I guess like to to break it down from the PR, right? So leveraging leveraging your PR. So the ba basically what that means is essentially you're getting PR placements, you're getting exposure, you're you're gaining that credibility and that authority. And that's a lot of artists will either go two routes, so either do earned media, which means that or like media that you earn um just because you're timely with your topics, your pitches and stuff like that, or there's paid media where it's just, where it's the ones that you're usually buying your articles and stuff like that. A lot of artists will go and buy the articles, but it doesn't really do much other than just boosts maybe your uh credibility a little bit within your circle. The best way to leverage those when you are getting PR placements is to first of all actually develop meaningful relationships with the journalists, the reporters, even the podcasters, whoever you're speaking with, develop those relationships because at the end of the day they're actually going to talk to like that's the world that they live in. So all their friends and all their buddies are going to be, you know, other people in PR. Um so if you can build those relationships it kind of opens up the doors for more opportunities. The other thing is also to make sure that when you are getting featured always thank whoever it is that's, <laughs> you know, like repost it, thank them, thank for the time, tell them how amazing the experience it was. 
and um, and amplify that. It, it helps you amplify that whole entire experience because not only are you now going from a one-time like interview or whatever it is, but now you're showing it on your social media. You tag them, it's going off to their social medias. They're probably reposting you as well. Um, and, so, and it just kind of starts propagating like that. So when you, you have to be really strategic when you're landing PR because it's not just the placements. And when it comes to playlisting, the thing is that a lot of times what happens is artists submit to like Submit Hub, Playola, and all these different sites, and they do that in hopes that they're actually going to be able to get more more streams, and that's going to gain them the exposure. And it's really funny. I learned this from speaking to so many artists, but everybody will say that they want exposure, but when you really get them on a call, when you really talk to them, what they're really saying in their own language is they want fans. Mm-hmm. So, so again, it just goes back to understanding the languaging, right? Um, because if you really want to get on a bunch of playlists, legit, then you have to get a lot of pre-saves, right? And this is not something that you can necessarily do by submitting on, on SubmitHub and stuff like that. What happens when you submit to those websites, you're now falling prey to these playlist curators now telling you negative feedback or criticism. A lot of the times artists aren't necessarily ready to receive that criticism, so it can impact them for a few years their mental health goes down. Now they're actually being hard on themselves. They're thinking they're failures and stuff like that. At the end of the day, music is subjective. So um, when they're going after those routes, it's just more damaging. You're wasting a lot of money. You're wasting a lot of resources. You're, you're wasting time only to hear back and maybe you'll get playlisted in a couple playlists that don't really make a difference or just to get a lot of no's, uh, which hurts the ego. So um, the best way is just to focus on the fans make sure that they're pre-saving. If you want to do paid marketing, paid ads, you can also do paid ads to drive to your, to your pre-saves. But, um, but yeah, there's so many other methods that you can do without necessarily relying on these like gatekeepers as people like to call. Mm. First thing. Yeah. I would really like to create a culture where artists leverage their PR well and thank the person who, who helped them out with it. And that's part of what the renegade musician is all about. And second of all, yeah, if you want to encourage pre-saves, maybe even show your fans how to do it literally on your computer or send them a video showing them how they can do that. And then that's going to ensure that they actually take that action for you. And if you've built a relationship up to that point, then they're going to be far more willing to help. Absolutely. So obviously, once you started to build your fan base, there are going to be more opportunities right at your fingertips. So is monetization something that happens by default? Isn't maximizing revenue as simple as growing your fan base and letting them do the rest? So yes and no, because again, we're fighting for attention. Mm -hmm. So the thing is that the way that digital marketing works nowadays or like the way that the internet is kind of like heading is that you have to make it super easy and super simple for people to actually click and purchase. So if you go on a website, and we see this all the time, there's so many websites out there, but are the websites actually converting into sales? And when you start giving people a lot of choices, they don't buy. So one of the things that I love to do, and I've used this not only in the music industry, but um, before coronavirus, I also had a dropshipping store, and I would sell like dog beds, and I only gave them one option. The only bed you can get is this bed, and that's it. And if you want to get something else, it's not going to show till you hit the next pages, right? Because you want to make sure that they're buying the first thing first. When you're building your fans, you're taking them similar through that like buyer's journey as well, where you're going from uh, this like really cold audience that they probably don't know you, they don't like you, or they probably just don't trust you yet. And um, what you have to do is you have to nurture them into becoming these hot customers. And 
this is literally a typical sales funnel or a buyer's journey. So what happens mm. is you're taking this audience that you're getting, you're growing this fan base, you're getting all this traffic, and now you just take them through a funnel. So I personally like ClickFunnels. Um, you can do this on Shopify. You can do this anywhere else. There's also a bunch of ClickFunnels spinoffs. I personally like ClickFunnels and the whole process is very simple. You take them to one page. They can't get to the next page unless they take the action on this one page. And it can be a free incentive for an email. It can be a free plus shipping offer, something that's really, really cheap. It could be something I would recommend starting at the lower tier because, again, you're just trying to build that trust. And once you have them through the first door, now you can offer them a monthly recurring revenue uh, membership or you can offer them a monthly uh, a merch, a VIP merch bundle or whatever it is. But you can't really expect to get the most out of people. If you haven't really taken them through that journey of like nurturing them and getting them to know and like you and trust you. Mm. It was a leading question, obviously, because I knew there was more to it than that. So absolutely. <laughs> sales funnels are big in the music industry right now. Do you have a service that helps people build funnels? Because I'm thinking it's tough for some musicians, even though there's a lot of people teaching musicians to do it without guidance. It's it's a pretty technical process. I've messed around with ClickFunnels. I like it. I mostly use 10X Pro. For some products, I would be inclined to use ClickFunnels. Having said that, it's technical. Uh, and and not everyone is technical. It's you, you and me. So what are your thoughts? I agree with you 100%. Um, and this is the part where artists kind of start to fall off because they're like, I don't really want to learn that. I don't I don't have time. I want to focus on the music and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of places that you can hire people to build your funnels. We, I used to actually, before I switched into the Fame Hawkers model, I used to offer digital marketing services mm. and I would do that. Um, now we do it like every so often on a one-off basis or just depending if they need it. We also have a swipe funnel. So... That just means that it's already built out and all we do is duplicate it and then send it to whoever needs it. And then um, all they have to do is just brand it and make sure that they create their own account and stuff like that. Which is pretty important because otherwise a musician is kind of stuck learning. How do I make a lead magnet? How do I copyright? How do I send ads to my funnel and all that? How do I build traffic? Which is still, I think, valuable for musicians to learn. It's just not going to be everybody's boat. So I like that. You talk about focusing on the who and not the how. I've certainly heard this before and I agree, but in context of what you're talking about here, I'm sure there's a little more to it. So how can we properly focus on the who and not the how as artists? So the thing is, again, it's just a thing of how people get stuck in the misconceptions or the mistakes, right? So when you say like, what that basically means is, let's say you want to get more streams or you want to get more exposure. So then the internet will tell you, this is how you do it. And then what the internet is not telling you is that these are all a bunch of misconceptions, mistakes, or things that don't really work. Mm. The who, those are the people that are actually on the ground level, they're hands-on, they know what's working. One day on social media can be equivalent to like a whole week, right? Everything is constantly changing, especially with TikTok and Reels now being like oh, at the um... forefront of everything. Everything changes so fast. Um, so if you're focusing on these like old traditional methods or just methods that appear on books or things that don't really change as often, then you fall in that cycle of you're, you're doing things that you think you should be doing, but it's not necessarily what you need to be doing. Um, the who being the professionals, right? The people that are actually helping you with these um, and also being careful with who you work with because there's also a lot of people that 
they will scam you in this industry. There's way too many people that yeah. act as consultants and all these different things. They don't have a track record. Um, so it's really, really important that whoever you decide to work with is someone that actually has either a track record, has experience, or they are doing what you want to do or have done what you're trying to do. That's really huge. Yeah. I, what, part of my personal development training was who do you listen to? And you want to listen to people who have the results that you want or are at least on the way to achieving them. So you expressed it very well. You know, part of your your email there was was a little bit of copywriting magic. You mentioned millions of streams. So if we follow the processes that we've talked about so far, is that how artists get millions of streams or is there a little more to it? Yeah, I mean, so it's it's kind of like this, right? So if you think about everything we just talked about, we talked about two different types of marketing principles. We talked about organic marketing and paid marketing. Yep. Um, the best way to illustrate it is if you think about, and this is also another misconception, artists jump straight into paid marketing. So if you think about organic marketing as the engine to a car and then paid ads as the gas that you pump into a car, right? The fuel, what happens is when you don't have organic marketing figured out, you're pumping gas into a car with no engine. But when you have your organic marketing figured out and you pump gas into it, then you're actually getting the best results. So before focusing on how to get to a million streams, you have to figure out how can I get my organic marketing super, super solid that no matter if I have ads running or not, traffic's coming. And then once you have your organic marketing figured out, you want to make sure that in this strategy, you have your monetization strategy figured out. So you have revenue coming in. Mm. And then that means that you take that revenue or at least a portion of it, you invest it into ads. The ads will then help you scale. And then you never fall into this thing of like, I have no money but I have or whatever, you know, like you never fall in this, this trap of not being able to run ads because you don't have money. So therefore you don't have a music career. You have a music career. It's just, let's do it the right way. It might take a little bit longer, but in the long run, it will get you there a lot faster. I love that you said that reinvesting. It's really a theme in the Renegade Musician, my new ebook as well. And I really like to hammer that home for, for musicians that, if you learn to reinvest well, instead of just going to Denny's after gigs, you'll you'll probably be able to grow in advance. If you want to hang out with your buddies and play music, that's okay. And it's okay to spend a little bit on yourself and have something left over. But if you want to grow, for sure, that's the way is to take that revenue reinvest. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to celebrate yourself, you know, but not recklessly. Just <laughs> exactly. Keep, keep a lot to reinvest. And the more you reinvest, the faster you grow. That's awesome. Well, a few quick closing questions to build out your character. Uh, the first one is, what's the last YouTube video you watched? Ooh, the last YouTube video. Hmm, you got me there. I actually, <laughs> uh, Tanner Chidester, have mm -hmm. you heard of him? I think so. Yeah. So Tanner Chidester, he's really big in digital marketing. Um, mm. I'm actually in his mastermind and I watched one of his videos earlier today where he was breaking down a whole ad, like a whole ad setup for someone. And yeah, <laughs> it was digital marketing related. <laughs> I love it. You're investing in yourself. And then what is your daily routine like? Uh, my daily routine. So, and I just, this, I just changed it recently a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more fun now. Um, but normally what I do is I wake up, I have a morning routine. If I don't have a morning routine, I feel like my whole day is so lost. 
So in my morning routine, I'll, I'll just do like things to actually make sure that I'm actually able to show up in the world at the best way, right? So I'll do my journaling, my gratitudes, my breathing and all these different things. And then from there, I have kind of like the mornings I block it off just for me, just for in case anything um happens or whatever mornings are usually for me and then i'll jump on calls and work maybe like around 11 a.m to noon and then i'll just work straight through the day um i'll help artists and and work for me is just helping artists and whether it's uh group coaching one-on-one calls or stuff like this right podcasts Mm -hmm. interviews the other the one thing that i implemented recently was i started in the middle of the day i started blocking off two hours and in those two hours i book calls that are only on phone calls so not zooms so i i strategically move things around so i'm like these are going to be phone call calls and what i started doing is i started going to the pool where i can take those phone call calls like those actual phone calls and get a little bit more of that flexibility and time freedom in a sense but yeah that's one of the new things i started doing and i feel like it's it's definitely added like a refreshing vibe to my day that's key yeah like after about three or four hours of pretty in-depth focused work i have a tendency to take a couple of hours off as much as possible i like to spend that time outside and then you come back to your home and it feels like a different place because you've been you've been outside absorbing a different kind of structure so yeah it's amazing it is (laughs) it is and what would you say is the greatest challenge you've overcome greatest challenge um I feel like I've overcome so many. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a huge believer of fail fast, fail forward. Biggest challenge, I would say, um, when I graduated college, I couldn't find a job anywhere. So I moved back home. Mm. Um, my mom was living with my brother in a two-bedroom apartment, so I was crashing on their couch for a bit. And I couldn't find a job anywhere. No one wanted to hire me. For some reason, I was either too qualified or not qualified enough. And... So I decided, okay, I'm just going to become a private chef. And that's kind of how my whole culinary career started, where in the back of my head the whole time I kept thinking, this is my fast track to the entertainment industry. So hmm. really, yeah, I, I literally created my own backdoor into the music industry. So what I did was I, I worked super hard. I, I was a private chef in South Florida for about six months, um, maybe even less than that. And one thing led to another, I got hired to be a private chef, live-in private chef for a family in Beverly Hills. So it was like this dream come true. I have two weeks to pack up. I'm moving to LA. And then um, once I was in LA, that's how I then then found my way into the music industry. Mm. And what's the greatest victory you feel like you experienced? I think that, that mm-hmm. right there, that story, just because it goes from like literally crashing my mom's couch I think I had like negative $300 in the bank at that time. Like it was just a miserable time. And then from there, being able to actually do exactly what I wanted to without even having the full financial thing figured out. Because yeah, I was a private chef, but I was still, you know, you're starting out, you're just fresh out of college. It's it's a whole thing. So, um, so it was just one of those things of just trusting the vision, trusting the process without necessarily focusing too much on the house. Yeah. My 2011 was a little bit like that. Fire and ice. The first half sucked. The second half was great. I think I've yeah. told that story multiple times on the show already. But uh, yeah. yeah, quite the year. Now, awesome. are there any books that have helped you on your journey? I read a bunch of books. Um, my favorite ones are Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Mm, yeah. Uh, Traffic Secrets by Russell Brunson. So good. Yeah, you read it? Yeah. It's amazing. I read um, it. What else? Uh, 
there, I have a bunch behind me, actually. Hmm. I have How to Make It in the Mu- New Music Business by Ari Hurston. Good book, um, yeah. Think and Grow Rich, Start With Why, All You Need to Know About the New Music Business by Donald Passman. And I've got that, too. Bunch. I read so much. Oh, another really good one was Unlock It by Dan Locke. Hmm. It's more of a sales book, but that, was, that one was pretty good. Um, and yeah, and then I also have Audible. I have a bunch on Audible, too. Nice. <laughs> Psycho-Cybernetics is another good one. Yeah, Psycho-Cybernetics. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. If you want to read one with a different flavor, uh, the new Psycho-Cybernetics with an intro by Dan Kennedy. Oh, I got to check it out. Yeah, it's kind of neat. I have a lot of those books, too. I'd say Think and Grow Rich is kind of like my life philosophy if I had to roll it all into one. So it, it's great. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time and generosity, Isabella. Is there anything else I should have asked? Um, I think we covered a lot. We did. We did. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. This has been super fun. And, and I hope, you know, this was uh, uh, helpful and useful to the listeners as well. Agreed. So if you're ready to be inspired and empowered, you'll want to pick up a copy of my latest ebook, The Renegade Musician at gum.co slash renegade musician. Usually I charge $30 for this ebook the next 10 orders, you can get it for $10. So head on over to gum.co slash renegade musician to get your copy. This has been episode 231 of the New Music Industry Podcast. I'm David Andrew Wheat, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.